If you got a Bible, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's where we will be uh, parked at this morning. And uh, I'm going to combine uh, Deuteronomy 8, 9, 10, and 11, but I'm not going to go into 9, 10, and 11, maybe a, a sum in 11, but uh, I want you to read it. I want you to go home and read uh, the rest of these chapters and to read um, just to understand the context of what it was. Moses is uh, giving these sermons and he has a lot of repetitive stuff that he says to these uh, chapters, but chapter 8 will get us to where uh, we need to be. And uh, in history, and especially in sports history, when an underdog beats a champion, that's usually a pretty great celebration. And I specifically remember growing up watching boxing uh, back when boxing was great and uh, back when the sport of boxing was very relevant and popular and, and exciting to watch. And uh, the man who changed boxing and was an absolute legend uh, when I was watching it was Iron Mike Tyson. Now, sounds really tough, looked really tough, talked not so tough, all right? But anyways, but those who know Mike Tyson, he was not the typical boxer. Um, he was shorter in stature. He didn't have the reach. He didn't have the pedigree. Uh, some would say he was too short to be real successful, but man, were they wrong. He was like a pit bull. When the bell would ring, I mean, he would enter the ring, and the majority of the matches were done in one, I mean, less than one round. Matter of fact, he defended his title like 91 seconds one time with two, punch, two punches, and uh, he was an absolute monster. He won every heavyweight championship belt. He defended them over 20 uh, boxing matches. He was in his prime. He was unstoppable. Uh, Mike Tyson would credit his success as well to how he was raised. He was poor. He was on the streets. Everything he knew in life that he was going to have, he would have to work for. And that motivated him to work harder than anyone else, train harder. He would run more, lift more, do whatever it took to be able to get off the streets to have a better life. And man, did he do that. Not only was he a celebrity in America, he was a world celebrity. He had, he had a match uh, coming up uh, in his career, he was coming up in a match to where it would put him on the world stage. And so it was kind of like a, just a little exhibition match in China to uh, extend his brand and extend the, the brand of boxing. And so they chose a guy uh, similar to myself, fat and out of shape, named Buster Douglas. And they thought, man, this would just be a quick little warm-up fight for him, and Tyson could go on with the things. Well, when the boxing match began, and Mike Tyson began to fight all of a sudden by the end of the sixth round, which never happened before with Mike Tyson, and then soon after that, he got knocked down for the first time, and sure enough, Mike Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas. And I can remember uh, watching it. I can remember uh, thinking, there is no way, how in the world did Mike Tyson lose to Buster Douglas? Well... Uh, as time goes on and you hear his story, he said he lost because he forgot what got him to where he was. He, he changed his trainer. His desire wasn't as well. He didn't have a strong desire anymore. He had plenty of money. He had everything he wanted in life and his desire, his training, his way of life changed. And it all dwindled down because of the success that he achieved. And he forgot what got him to where he was. And I share that story with you because that's the introduction to our message today. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is instructing the nation of Israel exactly what happened to the old generation. He's, he's explaining this to the new generation, and he's giving them a very, very important lesson. A lesson we all must learn. A lesson we must uh, take and put in our hearts to always remember. And to know that in the promise of going to the promised land and living in the land of flowing with milk and honey, do not forget do not, do not come to the moment to where you forgot 
what got you there. Or you forget who got you there because the moment you do, it can all come crashing down. And I heard a pastor to say this before when I first started uh, preaching and uh, ministering and, and talking about Christianity. And I found it to be a very true statement. He says, most people in life can handle struggles, but only a very few can handle success. And I thought that's a strange statement, but you know what? I found it to be true. I found it to be true because it's true in my own life. When, when I'm struggling, when I, when I have trials and tribulations in my life, it keeps me really close to God. But the temptation is when I'm doing well and, and, and God is blessing, there's a lot of success in my life, all of a sudden I tend to forget about God. I tend to forget those things that I should be doing in my life that got me to where I, I need to be. And it's an important lesson for us to remember. It's an important lesson for the Israelites to remember. And I hope this morning as we read Moses telling this to the nation of Israel that we can apply it to our own hearts as well. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want to start in verse 1. And I want to work my way through the whole chapter. But in verse 1, Moses begins by saying, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your father. Moses tells the new generation, every commandment that I have given you, you must be careful to observe. You say, what was the commandments? We talked a little bit about this for several weeks. Uh, obviously, the Ten Commandments was the big ones, right? The Ten Commandments, we, we broke them down to two things. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep God first in your life and you treat uh, the people of God the way that God would treat them, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be ones that can prosper in God's, uh, in God's land. And I want you to carefully observe these things. I want you to live this out because it's a simple equation. Do this and God is going to let you multiply. He's going to let you live. He's going to let you possess the land. And what an encouragement by Moses to the new generation. He's telling them, this is not a secret. This is not something you have to try to figure out. This is not something you have to try to understand. It's plainly given to you in these scriptures. Don't complicate it. Don't overthink it. Don't believe it. Don't, don't, I mean, don't not believe it. Don't have the, the faith to say, I trust in myself, but trust in God. Obey his commands and God will do this in your life. He's going to let you live. He's going to let you take the promised land. And I found out in my life as well, most Christians in the Christian life, the desire to serve God, have very little problem knowing what God's will is. The problem comes observing God's will, right? We try to muddy God's will. We try to complicate God's will. We try to do all these things because a lot of times we just don't want to obey God's will in our life. One pastor said, it's not so much the unknown will of God that's the problem to most Christians, but it's the disobedience to the known will of God. That's the problem. And, and for us, on the positive side of that, think about this. God spells this out for us. He says, here's my will. Go do it. And this reminds you of Jesus with his disciples. He says, I'm going to tell you, I'm like a good father. Would I hide your blessing somewhere and put traps up and snares up so that you would get uh, tangled up in these traps and snares to get the blessings? No, I'm a good father. I want you to have the blessings, but I'm going to put them in a place to where you know how to get them. But all we have to do is obey them. And as a great God, a God who provides, he spells it out. And Moses gives the key here. Be careful to obey. 
You see, the word careful there means to intensely focus on something, to intensify that this is something that is the goal of my life. And that's where we must come in, our focus must come in, our understanding must come in. Wherever we are, we must continually pursue God's commandments for our life. And if we continually pursue those things and we intently focus on these things that the will of God in our life is will be exposed as we know, and God is a rewarder of those who does His will. And it's, it's like that in the Old Testament. It's like that in the New Testament. It's like that with us today. It always has been like that and it always will be like that. If you want to get your life on track with God and receive the blessings of God, then you be obedient to His commands. You be obedient to God's will in your life, and he will, you, will, you will reap the benefits and the blessings of God's blessings in your life. If you're here this morning, you want your marriage to be on track, receive the blessings of God in your family and your home, then you must obey God's commands for your marriage. If you want your, if you want your uh, kids to be on track and you want your kids to love the Lord, your God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, then you must put the principles of being a parent into work that God has given us and we will reap the benefits from that to receive the blessings of God, to, to obey the commands of God. It's a simple promise, but it's a great promise. Do this and I will do this. No hidden agenda. And Moses stands before the people. He says, if you want the blessings of God, the choice is yours. Obey God's blessings, obey God's commandments, and He will bless you. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, and know that it was your, uh, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. But God says, I didn't throw you out here. I prepared you. I put you through the preparation process we talked about this a little bit. In Egypt, when they were rescued from Egypt, that's the picture of salvation. Under the bondage of a wicked ruler, under the bondage of sin, the picture of us being delivered by Jesus Christ out of Egypt is a picture of our salvation. That's where it begins. We call out on the name of God and He delivers us from this, uh, 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 from this bondage. And then the wilderness was the picture of preparation. That God puts us through a process, and in our lives as well, New Testament terms, we talk about sanctification. God goes to work in our life to work out these things in our life so that when we get to the point of the promised land, which is the spirit-filled life filled with blessings of God in our life, that we will not forget how we got there and why we got there. And the reason for the wilderness, Moses tells them right here, God used these tools in your life to prepare you. And he says, what did he do in the wilderness? He said, he humbled the nation of Israel. He said, when you got to the point where you thought you were better than God and strong and mighty and untouchable, I showed you just how weak you really were. I put you to a point where you could not even feed yourself. And Moses said uh, as well, God tested them. He said, are you going to trust in me and me alone? Are you going to walk out on me? Are you not going to be faithful to me? Are you going to live just by what I can give you? Or are you going to live by every word that proceeds out of my mouth? 
And then God chastened them, or in other words, He disciplined them. He said, you are accountable to me. You are my children. I'm going to correct you. And when you disobey God, I'm going to correct you. And I'm going to keep you in line. I'm going to keep you accountable. And I must say, these three tools, when we look at these today in our own life, God still uses these three tools. He still uses these three tools in our life to do a specific job in our walk and character before the Lord that helps us keep on track. I think about the tool of humbleness, the tool of humbling. Let me tell you, I've heard a pastor say this, and it's so true. He says, you can either humble yourself or God will do it for you. And if you've never been humbled before by the Lord, you're in for a a great surprise, okay? Because God will humble you. He will take you to the point to where there's nothing in your life but you could do to call out on Him. And the nation of Israel, He put them flat on their back. They had no food. They had no water. They had nothing. And all they could do is call out on God and He humbled them. And in our life, we're going to get to a point to where He completely humbles us. We may think we can handle our marriage, but God will humble you. We may think we can handle our children. God will humble you, especially if you have a 12-year-old daughter. All right, anyways, but uh, if, if you think you can handle uh, your finances, God will humble you. Let me tell you, if you think you can do anything of your own, He can humble you. He gets you to a point to where you realize you're not in control of your life. And that's the point of humbling. He humbled the nation of Israel for them to realize if anything that they have or possess, it comes from the hand of God. He also tested their faithfulness. I don't know what it is, but our hearts are incurably unfaithful to the things of God. We constantly want to turn away from God or turn towards other things, and God will test our faithfulness, and He's telling them, in good times or bad, will you stay true to me? Will you serve me and me alone in good times and bad times? Are you faithful? And then a tool of accountability. How many of us think that we can get away with anything and do anything that we want? God says no. If you're my child, I'm going to hold you accountable. If you're my child, I'm going to discipline you. And he said, these are the tools that I'm going to use to do that. i humble you. I'm going to uh, test your faithfulness. I'm going to hold you accountable. And now Moses says, because of this preparation, because of this work that God has done in your life, and you have followed after, followed after God, he says, now you will see the blessings of God. Look at verse 6. He says, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his way and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of uh, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and the land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will which you will lack nothing. A land of whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Moses comes down. He's saying, here it is, Israelites. It's payday. You will obey me and I will bless you and I will take you into the promised land. You will drink plenty of water. Now for us as Americans, that doesn't sound very appealing. But for people who are are thirsting to death in the desert where there was no rivers, there was no brooks, there was no water, and they, would have, they had to have Moses strike a rock for the water to provide for the people, and they were constantly looking for water. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm going to put you in a land to where there are brooks full of water, and there are fountains of springs, and there are, it's flowing out of the valleys and the hills. You will drink plenty of water. Not only that, you will drink plenty of food. 
the sustenance of food. I'll, I'll give you fig trees and pomegranates and bread without scarcity. You'll, scarcity. You'll never have to be concerned with uh, eating another meal again. There will be plenty of, of, of provision in the land, and also you will prosper in copper and resources. The hills have minerals. You will be able to make a living. You will be able to build places. You will be able to do all these things. And when you've done that, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. And listen, that's the key. When we get into the promised land, when we get to the point where God has incredibly blessed us, we got to give Him praise. We got to be grateful. And listen, when we read when we read in the New Testament, the number one list of complaints, or the number two thing uh, that God talks about the Israelites, He says, "Neither were they grateful," meaning that they, that God had incredibly blessed them and had given them all these things, but their hearts were grumbling before God. And Moses is saying, "When you get the water, when you get the food, when you get the resources, be grateful to God." Like praise His name to know that it is God who's given it to you and there was no other way for you to get it. Praise God for the incredible plenty that God has put in your life. And I must say, this is the most definitely and definitely the most desired place for us to be as believers, is it not? Don't you want to live in the land of blessings of God? Don't you want to live where God is blessing us and how He does bless us? And how we should lift our hearts and praise and thanksgiving. And so many of us, even here today, even in my own life, has been incredibly blessed by God. But yet, many times, the praise don't come off our lips. The praise are not, is not in our hearts. We are not praising God. And the, the, the situation and the circumstance that we're living in now is better than it's ever been. But some way, somehow, we find a way to grumble. We find a way to be ungrateful. I, I can't help but to think of uh, people in Ukraine who were going to work every day grumbling about their job. But today, they would love to have that job back. They would love to have peace back in their streets. They would love to have those things. And, and how many times do we take that for granted? Think of for us as a country, how we have taken God's providence for our country for granted. We complain and we whine and we gripe and we're fighting and arguing over all these crazy and wacky things. But God's hand has incredibly blessed our country. He has incredibly blessed us and protected us from the world. There's a lot of crazy people in the world, crazy leaders in the world. But yet He has blessed us. And yet, how have we, how have we repaid that to God? Have we praised Him? Have we given Him gratefulness? Listen, for us, even this morning as Americans, we should just praise God for what He's done in our country. God, thank You for what You have done and blessed us over and over. Some of us in here as well have been incredibly blessed by God. We should give Him praise for it. We should give Him great gratefulness for Him. In my own life, I think about how God has blessed me. In my marriage, how God has blessed me in my marriage. I mean, this year, or uh, working on 22 years, I know Aaron has the patience of Job, right? I mean, she has suffered and suffered and suffered with me. But I just think about the incredible blessings that God has given in my marriage. And how many single people have come to me over the years and said they were praying for a spouse and praying for a spouse, and now... They're complaining about their spouse. They're whining about their spouse. Like they eat their toenails in bed or something. I don't know, anything crazy. They're, the very things that we say we want from God, we get them, then we complain about them. Cars. We praise God. God, give me this car. Give me this truck. And then a year later, this thing's a piece of junk, right? This thing ain't worth nothing. It's out of date. I wish I would have had some. It's, it's naturally in our hearts. And we become ungrateful. God says, if you want a tool to be blessed by God, learn how to be thankful. 
Learn how to give him praise. Learn how for the blessings of God to look to his goodness. And even through everything you have, I think about just for us as a church, how incredibly blessed God has been. Uh, God has given uh, the blessings God has given in our church. How God has put people in my life that has been used by God. And yes, we can look to the negative. And yes, we can look to the people that we may not agree with. And we can complain and we can whine and we can grumble. But guess what? God has been incredibly, He has been incredibly great. He has blessed us in your family, in your health. Don't ever take your health for granted. I mean, one day, one doctor report. One car wreck, one thing. I talked to a man just this week, said he was in an accident with with an 18-wheeler and he can't walk anymore. Just one day, that was it. One day that you can't do these things. And yet, if we have them, we should lift a heart of praise. If anything else, this morning, before you leave this place, if God has blessed you, I hope you lift a heart of great praise and thanksgiving to God. And listen, as we think about this message, it'd be a great time to close this message, right? I mean, I would feel like Joel Osteen. You guys could go home happy and smile and think your life's going to be well, but we know better, right? Moses knows better. He, he comes down, he says, here's the incredible blessing. You should give praise to God, but here's the temptation. Here's where we begin in the beginning. Verse 11, he says, beware. Beware. Like sounding the alarm. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by, keeping, by not keeping His commandments. His judgments and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply, when your silver and your gold are multiplied and when all you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great terrible wilderness in which the fiery serpents and the scorpions and the thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you out, uh, who brought water out for you in the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Wow. I, I mean, Moses unfortunately knows the trend because it was a path that he took. It was a path that his generation took. They got to the point to where they got to the Jordan River and they said, we'll do it our own way. We're going to send spies and we're going to figure this out and we don't need God's direction in our life because we're going we're to lead ourselves. and the blessings of God leads to the temptation of being prideful, of being ungrateful, and being unfaithful. That's what happens. And, and, and when you think about the, the nation of Israel, you see all those present. They were prideful in the fact that they thought they could win the battles themselves. They were ungrateful and grumbling to God, and they were unfaithful to the God because they had went and served other gods and, and were not faithful to the, serving the Lord. And the challenge that Moses screams, he is, he is proclaiming, beware, new generation, New husbands, new, new wives, new dads, new moms. Beware. Because you're going to slip away from God when your life's been so good. You stop living for Him and you forgot what got you there. And you must do it with a humble heart, a thankful heart, and a pure heart. I ask you a direct question this morning. Do you have a thankful heart? I mean, is your heart praising God for all the blessings He's given in your life? Do you have a humble heart? Do you look to God for all that He has given you and, and receive the things that God has given you? Or do you feel like you have earned something or something better? 
Do you have a pure heart? Are you faithful to serve the Lord regardless of whatever is happening in your life? And the moment, and in the moment that we think we do not need God is the very moment when we hit rock bottom. It's the point to where God will become in your life the only thing you could call upon. And let me tell you, you can live in the land of plenty, but you better be grateful. You better guard your heart and you better not get prideful and you can receive the blessings of the Lord. But if you're not, if you're not, you got to ask yourself, am I faithful to the Lord? Am I faithful for his will to his life? Because the temptation is to stop serving him. The temptation is to stop going after God. The temptation is to stop serving the Lord and doing these things. And this morning, when you think about it, do you, do you serve God? Another thing, do you wake up with a grateful heart? Is your heart grateful for the things that he has done? When you get up in the morning, is it good morning, Lord? Or is it good Lord, it's morning, all right? Listen, in your hearts, are you thankful for the job he's given you? Are you, are you thankful for the spouse he's given? Are you thankful for the kids that he's given you? That might be a little bit of a stretch. But anyways, are you thankful for your kids as well? Right? Are you thankful for the job? Are you thankful for the country that he allows you to live in? Are you thankful for the little things in your life? And then are you faithful to the Lord? Are you serving him? Are you accountable? Do you live for him in a holy manner? If somebody were to look to your life, would they know you belong to God? When I was, uh, when Aaron and I was going to church, and First Baptist, they would have the kids in there. Man, the kids would be in there going crazy and wild and everything. And we'd look in there, and all the kids are going crazy and wild. But when they would call our kids' name, we would look to them. And when they would come to the door, we, we would discipline our own kids. Now, other kids were on their own, okay? They could do whatever they want to. But we would tell them, you're not going to represent us this way. You're not going to act this way because we, you belong to us, and we're going to discipline you. But all the other people are doing it. All the other kids are doing it. It doesn't matter. Because you're mine, and I'm responsible for you, and I'm going to hold you accountable for doing things in your life. Listen, as a Christian, we belong to God, and He's going to hold us accountable. He's going to hold us to a standard. He's going to hold us to a, a, a holy manner for us to be living for. And Moses would shout this morning to you, just as he did to the nation of Israel, to me, to our church, to our country, beware. Beware when you have the land of plenty. Beware when you have plenty of money. Beware when you have the beautiful houses. Beware when you have peace and freedom. Beware because of the danger that comes with it. Don't overestimate yourself and underestimate God in your life. Because when you do, that's when the problem comes in. Moses tells him, verse 18, he says, I'm going to give you a chance. And I want you to remember this. And I want you to write this down. I want you to mark it down because Moses tells them, here's what you must remember. In verse 18, when this begins to happen, you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Same challenge to us. Today, you need to remember God in your life. Today, you need to go back and remember the time when you could not provide food for your family. You remember what that felt like? Go back to the time in your life to when you called out on God because everyone else walked out on you. Go back to the time when God was there with you, when everything else in your life seemed like it failed, but yet God was there for you. Moses says, go back and remember, that's the God you must serve. That's the God you must remember. It is Him who's given you power. It's Him who's given you wealth. And He has done this for your life. And if you don't, 
the consequences will come. Look at verse 19. Then it shall be, if by any means you forget the Lord your God and follow your uh, other gods and serve them as worship them, I testify you against you this day, you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And Moses is saying it's clear. It's, it's as close or as clear as I could make it. As soon as you forget these things, this will happen to you. God doesn't let his children get away with disobedience. He doesn't let us be ungrateful. He doesn't let us be unfaithful. And God will not be mocked. He will not be marginalized in our life. He, he is serious about his covenant with us. And you say, what gives God the right to do that? Think about this. Number one, he saved you. Listen, if you are here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the greatest thing that ever happened in your life. If you're here and that's never happened, that will be the greatest thing you could ever do in your life. Is that under the bondage of sin, Jesus Christ did something for you that no one else is willing to do for you. The Bible says you didn't have to do better or be a better person or try harder. The Bible says while you were yet a sinner, God sent his son to die on a cross for you. And just as you are this morning, you could call on the name of Jesus and he can save you. I think for some of us Christians that have been Christians for a long time, we forget that. We forgot that it is God who saved us from something we could not save ourselves from. And this morning, as we look to that, we say it is because he has saved us. And then because he has provided for us, he has done something for us that no one else could do. In the times of wilderness, in the times of testing, in the times of heartache, in the times of pain, he was there for us. He gave us food when we had no food. He gave us provision when we couldn't find provision. He helped us along our way when we, there was no one else there for us. He did all those things for us. And then on top of that, as he gives us the land of blessing, it is from his hands that you have the blessings of God in your life. And oh, how we forget so many times. Sometimes we look and we say, well, that happened because I was lucky. If you're a Christian, things don't happen in your life because of luck. They happen because of the hand of God in your life. And the blessings that he has given you and the, the, the things he has given, we ought to have a heart of praise. I want to share one scripture from chapter 11 with you in conclusion as we um, get ready to close. But I challenge you to read 8, 9, 10, and 11 as you uh, go through this week because you're going to hear the same things repeated in these things. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26 and 28, Moses is kind of wrapping up his whole thought process. And here's what he tells the, the people. He says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I commanded you today to go after other gods which have not, which you have not known. Moses kind of says, clear, I said it before you today, the choice is yours. And listen, I'm not saying that in your life everything's going to be rosy and great and promised and it'll all be great, but what I am would promise is that God would be with you every step of the way. And as you, the more you walk with God, the more you realize how great he is and how pitiful you are really in our lives. He humbles us. He does. I, I, in my life, I've learned this lesson so many times as a pastor. I've learned this lesson so many times as a, a, a husband. How many times that I thought that I had a plan for my marriage and God humbled me? And how many times I thought I had a plan for my kids, and Lord, he sent me a 12-year-old girl. Let me tell you, he's really humbled me, right? And, and you go through the whole process, and even with your job or your finances, even with your health, a lot of times you think this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and something comes in your life, and it just devastates you one day, all of a sudden. 
You, you may have a plan and you may think you have it made, but it is God. It is God and we must give Him praise and we must put Him in our lives and we must be grateful. We must be faithful and we must be accountable to Him. And if we do, Moses says, that's the choice you make and you will live obeying God's commands. And what happens to you is the will of God in your life. And it's the best thing that will ever happen to your life. You know, the best thing for your marriage is God's will for your marriage. The best thing for your kids is God's will for your kids. The best thing for your, uh, your health and your family and your life is God's will for your life. And how we stay in that is obedient to God and his plans and his will for our lives. Let's pray together this morning.